Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. My name's Thomas, um, a slightly croaky Thomas this morning. Um, I'm part of the team here and it's a real pleasure and privilege um, to be here to open up God's word with you all. Um, it has been a busy morning so far, so I've gathered. I've been through next door, but you've been hearing about a lot of different things, and it's cool to partake in communion as family. Um, but it's been busy, so I wonder maybe we could just start this morning um, with a bit more of a gentle start, a bit of a show and tell. Um, so, Michael, maybe you've got the first slide. Um, here's a picture for you guys this morning. Um, it's a picture of, of me on the um, right-hand side there with my granddad, my granddad, Jeffrey Dean. I only knew him until I was about 11 years old, but he was everything that you ever wanted a granddad to be. He was kind, he was generous, he was full of stories, he was loving, and he lived by the seaside. Um, he actually used to go swimming almost every single day around the year in Cornwall um, until he was kind of in his mid-80s. What a legend. Um, Jeffrey Dean. I got to just sit on his lap sometimes and just chill and hear stories when I was a wee man back in London. Um, but unfortunately, somebody didn't get the memo that that was supposed to be just me and him um, and uh, somebody trying to get in on the act too. Um, but nevertheless, I just powered on. Um, and I've always felt incredibly lucky to have known all four of my grandparents as I grew up. And, and they always had stories and encouragements and, and treats, particularly for me, as I was growing up. But more than that, um, they really showed me, probably more than any other people I've known, what it means to be loving. They really showed me what it means to be loving. Um, last week, Carl kicked us off in our mini-series on John 1. Um, and last autumn is where we walked through John's gospel, where we got to know the writer um, of this letter and we got to know the writer of this gospel, this account of Jesus' life, who's kind of like an excitable, well-educated, more kind of bohemian, romantic disciple who was completely blown away with this man, Jesus. He was completely blown away and everything in his life was transformed through the encounter that he and his friends had with this bloke that they met called Jesus. His life had changed forever the moment that he met him. And he would tell the stories of Jesus until the day that he died. He would spread this message of love for humanity and relationship with Father God until he couldn't speak any longer, which is kind of how my voice feels this morning. I can't speak any longer. And, and we're going to look at a letter written from a place called Ephesus, now in Turkey, a quick bit of history, just to remind ourselves of the wider story here. So there was Jesus, and Jesus turned up in a vision on a road and ruined this guy's life called Saul. Saul eventually became Paul, and then he eventually left Jerusalem and kicked off all this church stuff in Ephesus. He was there for a while, but then he probably handed over the church leadership to one of his apprentices called Timothy, Paul went off and did his own thing, but Ephesus remained what we might call a center of mission, kind of like what we are trying to kick off here in Edinburgh, a center of mission. From Ephesus, they planted churches all over the place. They started missional communities in every household that they could. 
except they didn't call them missional communities because their culture wasn't as weirdly consumeristic and individualistic as ours. They just kind of did life together. And by the time this letter is written, it's not Paul, it's not Timothy leading this church anymore, but it is John. You guessed it, it's John. It's an elderly John, and we find him now an old, old man, maybe close to 100, being carried everywhere, but still leading a church, a church that's in the middle of threats from false teaching, threats from Rome, but, but still, John, the leader of this church, is completely captured by the person of Jesus that he encountered all that time ago. Jesus, the word who became flesh, still John is embodying this message of love and relationship with the Father. And he writes the most incredible letter. So hold that thought. Um, Nobody writes letters anymore. Am I right? Nobody writes them anymore. At least in my generation, you guys are obviously way older than me, you still use house phones and stamps and stuff like that. Um, But here's a letter that I wrote to my grandparents when I was seven years old. So if we could have that one, uh, Michael. The next slide, please. So I'll just read it out to you. Um, Dear Granny and Grandad, it was really good at Rhodes in Greece, the Greek island. One day I got scratched by a dog at Lindos. So for that whole day, I was scared of dogs. We had a gale force nine at Rhodes, and mummy even had to get shelter. But we had a brilliant time. So fond memories of the worst holiday in the world (laughs) through the form of a letter that I wrote to my grandparents. And and sometimes we have to admit in the church we are guilty um, of a number of things. One of those things is that we read every passage in the Bible as if it's just the same sort of literature. We read it as if it's a law decree or a car manual or an Ikea set of instructions for a Billy bookcase. When actually, what we're reading today is just a letter from John, the one whom Jesus loved. This old grandfather figure to to the disciples and the children of the church that he deeply, deeply cared about. And John, leading this totally key center of mission for the church, Where there is so much to do and there is so much at stake, he doesn't write about a new strategy or management techniques or church growth models. And I'm not knocking them for a second, but I'm just saying, this is what he writes. We'll have a quick look. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 16. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Because we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I'll read that last verse again. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ 
laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. A letter from a godly grandfather who intimately knows his heavenly father. Little children, he's saying, don't miss the point. Dear children, know this. The father loves you. When I grow up, when I get really old, I want to be like John. I want to be obsessed with embodying the love of God in a broken world. Because as you look in just a tiny bit more detail in this letter, you realize that John isn't just repeating himself again and again, although he is. He's just saying the same simple things again and again. But it's also not even original material that he's coming up with. He is just very simply restating, reiterating, reinforcing the words of Jesus. The very same words that changed his perspective, that revolutionized his perspective and transformed his life. We should love one another. Where did he get that from, John? Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Exactly what Jesus prayed for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. Echoing the words of Jesus, greater love has no man than he who laid down his life for his friends. And it's basically this big echo chamber from that time that he spent with Jesus. And I wonder, is that, is that what comes out of you? Is that what comes out of me? I'm going to read you a quote um, that nobody has ever said, ever. This is a quote from nobody. It says this. I love going for coffee with Thomas because it's almost exactly the same as it would have been hanging out with Jesus. Nobody has ever said that. John writes to the churches and reminds us today that the Christian life really isn't rocket science. It isn't brain surgery, but it undeniably is very, very hard. Loving one another. It's not new. It's not particularly sexy, but it does cost us everything. It's a whole life pursuit. It's the strongest command of Jesus, and it's very much still the role of the church in today's world, as much as it was when this letter was first written. And there's a strong sense today that we could do really, really well to receive the counsel of this wise old leader, John, and see how he calls us to total transformation. So before we kind of get really stuck in, should we just pray together again? Yeah, Lord God, we thank you again for your presence with us this morning. And I just want to pray um, that as I speak and as we read your word, that you would provoke our hearts to know how we can embody this love that you've shown us. Would you put people on our hearts? Would you put places on our hearts? Would you pinpoint areas where we haven't even received your love yet? 
And would we just know that you are more than enough for us this morning. We thank you that this same love has conquered the grave. And we recognize the power in the love of the Father in this world that just so desperately needs it. Amen. Amen. Um, so I, I love the simplicity of John's letter um, because isn't it easy for us to really constantly overcomplicate our faith, even to the point where we actually try to make it about something that it's not, just so we can get away from the glaringly obvious commands of people like John love one another. He's really, really straight up with us this morning. He's really, really simple. Don't be like Cain. Do not be like Cain. This is Cain. Don't be like Cain. Simple. Cain belonged to the evil one and he murdered his brother. Don't be like Cain. Not everyone here will be familiar with this story from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. You'll probably have heard of them. And in a nutshell, Cain just couldn't handle Abel's great relationship with God. So, Cain killed Abel. In what I think must have been the first ever murder that the Bible records. So Cain's jealousy led to death. Cain's jealousy led to death. And I love the simplicity of John's letter, but I also hate the simplicity of John's letter. Because like every good story, it, just doesn't, it doesn't just record events that happened thousands of years ago. It also just directly asks questions of us and our hearts and our attitudes. It doesn't necessarily ask, have you killed anybody lately? But it does ask, where are the attitudes in your life that are leading towards death? That are leading towards real problems? That are pointing towards roadblocks or a lack of freedom? Death, not just in the physical, but being in the opposite of life, the opponent of freedom, the thief of joy. And just in case I'm not being clear this morning, we are all pretty much really nice people in this room, with maybe just a couple of exceptions that I'll point out later. Um, but we have really, um, we are lovely people, you know, we kind of do the right things, we say the right things, but the big question that's being asked of us is, have we really allowed God's love to transform us fully? Have we really allowed God's love to transform us fully, even in our darker moments? Even in those dark moments of our souls? And I want to just do a little kind of test for us here. Um, and I'm going to ask you, what is your knee-jerk reaction when different things happen? Okay, so I want you to kind of play along with this. So what is your knee-jerk reaction when you lose a five-hour game of Monopoly on Christmas Day to your uncle after his own liberal interpretation of the rules leads to a marginally narrow defeat? What is your knee-jerk reaction? Do you bless them and congratulate them, maybe hug them, or do you curse them? Trivial example. A bit more serious. What is your knee-jerk reaction when your closest colleague gets promoted ahead of you? And then they go on to get promoted again and again. What is your knee-jerk reaction when you're overlooked for that position of leadership? Maybe even in the church. And then that person's leadership doesn't actually work out the way that they had hoped. Do you bless them? Do you mourn with them when it doesn't work out? 
What is your knee-jerk reaction when somebody else receives healing after one measly little prayer? When you have been struggling with the same thing for years upon years. And this is full-on stuff, but we're not here to muck about. We're here to get free. And, and, and maybe you want to think of your own example and you want to think of that place which actually is a bit of a health check. Because actually our, our knee-jerk reactions in the moments of real heaviness and trial reveal where our hearts can sometimes be at, where our identity is really rooted. Take a moment, do a quick health check. How are your knee-jerk reactions doing? Where is your love at? Is probably what Carl would say. Where is your love at? Cain was warned by God in Genesis chapter 4. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It is lurking. There is a predator. Sin is crouching at our door and it desires to have us. What did Cain do? He did what would provide immediate results. He did what would remove the pain immediately and he murdered his brother out of jealousy. And there were real consequences for Cain's actions. Sorry about that, just a little bit of man flu. It's an epidemic that's sweeping the nation. If I do collapse, it's not a drill. I will need to be resuscitated. Um, There were very real consequences for Cain's actions. Naturally, his relationship with God the most important thing to him, suffered as he allowed sin to take control of his actions. And again, it makes sense that the relationship with his family completely broke down too, which, maybe stating the obvious, tends to happen when you murder your brother. But when we act and speak in our lives out of a selfishness and what John would call evil, it won't only have implications on our own spiritual lives, but we will begin to see our family life our emotional health affected by our actions too. And it doesn't even stop there. Here's the thing. Disobedience or making the choice of loving or not loving one another isn't just about the effect that it has on us. Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What we say In the physical, what we speak out is often mirrored in the spiritual. So when we refuse to bless those around us, when we withhold our blessing on those people, when we don't encourage that promotion, when we don't mourn that failure with them, we basically partner with the enemy. The enemy who comes to steal joy, not give it. And the challenge of loving one another isn't just tea and rice cakes. It's bless those who get the jobs that you really, really want. It's big up those that really annoy you but walk away with everything that your heart desired. This is a hard teaching that he gives the church in Ephesus. Dear children, love one another. Love one another, contend for the best possible good for each other. Do you know there's no force in the world more able to alter anything from its course than love? It's the best shot that we have of being the church. And 
I'm not talking about sexual love. I'm not talking about romantic love. This isn't superficial love. This isn't love actually love. This is Father God's agape love that he showed us through his son. It's unconditional. It is self-sacrificial. It is startlingly beautiful, this love. In a world that seems like it's trying its best to pretend that this sort of love doesn't even exist anymore. Wrong. It does. And where does it exist? It lives in us. It lives in the bride of Jesus, his church. We are new creations. We are clothed in love. We don't need to be like Cain. But actually half the battle is just being able to identify the areas where we operate from. Whether it's anger, whether it's past hurt, whether it's jealousy, mistrust. We don't need to be scared of these things, but we do need to identify where we are speaking, where we are interacting with people out of the wrong places. Because actually when we believe that the cross has brought us healing, we don't need to be scared of these places, but we do need to be accountable. We do need to be vulnerable with ourselves, with one another, about pointing out the places where we've begun to wander from loving one another. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazingly insightful um, little book called The Screwtape Letters that speak about the enemy's very real and persuasive influence in our lives. Um, And there's a short little excerpt here um, written from the perspective of one kind of demon character to another. He says this. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, so that's the Christian's mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, because it's an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. The enemy loves it when we speak to each other out of hurt, out of mistrust, out of jealousy. He's trying to pull us in that direction and we need to speak it out. We need to say, put a name on it and say, do you know what? The cross has dealt with that. Jesus has dealt with that. I don't need to be scared of that, but I do need to start walking in the opposite direction. I do need to start walking in love because the enemy has exactly, he has us exactly where he wants us when we are completely oblivious to the ways that we are tearing each other down. That wasn't ever what we were created for. The life that John describes is is a shift. It's a life in shift mode. A shift from tearing each other down to building one another up. It's a shift from living in fear and self-preservation to confidence in who we are and who we've been created to be. And confidence to try out new ideas. And confidence to put ourselves out there because we have God's spirit living in us. It's a shift from being jealous and being suspicious of the people that we love actually to being a room full of cheerleaders. I should have brought pom-poms, just giving you all out. Say this is your mandate. Go and be cheerleaders in the city of Edinburgh. Next week? Okay, maybe not. Um, Verse 14 says that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And if you've hung around church even for a short while, you will know that we call ourselves the people of God. 
the people of Jesus, that we stand in the victory of the cross where Jesus took on our guilt and we stand in the victory of the empty tomb as he showed that death was powerless to hold him down there at all. We are the people of the resurrection. And as resurrection people, as Jesus people, we have ways of showing that. We have WWJD bracelets. Um, maybe I'm showing my age there a little bit. We have bumper stickers. We have um, Facebook profile pictures. We have persecuted church solidarity Facebook photos. We call ourselves Jesus at the heart as a church. And we have an amazing shop window that people come past on the bus. There are so many ways that we can show the world that we are Jesus resurrection people. And all good things, I'm sure, all really good things. But John, the kind of old granddad wise figure, tells the church in Ephesus, and and maybe you can guess what's coming here. Dear children, the best way that we can show that we are the people of God is that we love one another. There aren't any shortcuts. Love one another without holding anything back, without settling for second best. It's just another echo chamber of Jesus' prayer for his disciples that the whole world would see and know him because we love one another. And this isn't a moment for a, a faith crisis. Am I saved? Am I not? I'm not quite there yet. You know, he's got time for you. He's got patience for you. He's got grace for you more than you could ever know. And he comes with us on this journey. But it is a time to say, actually, there is an opportunity here for me to grab hold of freedom in the love of God. Do I really want it? Do I really want to live this resurrection, spirit-filled life? Or am I actually, am I content in just wallowing around in the dead parts of my life? There's another little photo that I've got. Um, Two really famous people. Um, on the left, we have Dalai Lama, and um, he's kind of the leader of the Tibetan monks, kind of um, very influential person who is currently kind of in exile um, from China um, and has seen a lot of hard things, has journeyed around the world, kind of wandering around. You've got on your right Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who kind of journeyed um, through apartheid. Um, and, and since then has been a kind of real figurehead for forgiveness and reconciliation in a number of places, places affected by genocide, um, talking through forgiveness, even people in Northern Ireland who've wronged each other. These guys have seen some stuff, basically. You think you've seen some stuff. These guys have seen it all. They've seen the way the world is totally broken, that the way things were supposed to function just don't function, the way that where there's a problem or where we can hurt each other, we will find a way as humanity to hurt one another. But there's a story um, that somebody tells that they were speaking together at a conference um, in Zambia or South Africa, somewhere down there. And they arrived together and um, they were in front of hundreds of people. And they arrive and instead of the kind of solemn, stern handshake that you might expect from two people that have seen the things that they have seen... They had a long embrace, a lovely hug. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. No, I do. Um, and, and, and suddenly, gently, <clears throat> the Dalai Lama apparently started just to tickle Desmond Tutu to the point where he just started uproariously laughing and, and in laughter that you just can't contain. And he just kept going. He just kept tickling because why wouldn't you? 
Two people that have just seen everything that the world has to throw at them in front of hundreds of people talking about how we fix this world, just tickling one another. What is that all about? Think about some of the the greatest, most joy-filled leaders that you have ever come across. The people that you've seen and met and thought, I want to follow you. I would happily drop everything and just follow you. And if they're anything similar to the ones that are in my mind, they have often journeyed through real turmoil, through family heartbreak, through seeing real sad things, atrocities. They know what it means to fail. They know what it means to have a good idea that just really doesn't work as well. But that hasn't been the end of the story for them. There is a lightness at the end of every heaviness that Jesus invites us to join him in. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't get to bypass the hard times. We don't just get to avoid them. But we seek joy in the midst of the hard times. And we basically just tickle each other. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Not childishness, not oblivion or um, naivety, but childlikeness, knowing that this is not the end of the story. Not a heaviness or a weariness, but a new hope that's born out of a dark place and an encounter with the Spirit of God. I suppose my prayer is that we won't need our bumper stickers for that much longer because when we carry ourselves with a new joy that kind of emits in every situation that the world will see that we are God's people. And the question is that are we prepared to search for the lessons that we can learn amid the harder things or are we just determined to avoid them at all costs? And we sit in the middle of an identity epidemic in the 21st century at the moment. The the age-old questions of why we're here, what we are here for, what the point of life is, are just as pertinent as they have always been. There's a slide behind me that talks about a rise in teenage girls just deliberately poisoning themselves as a type of self-harm. There's been 4,000 more of them doing that in the last four or five years. People don't know why they're here. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they are living for. As humanity, it doesn't feel like we're there, does it? Does it feel like we're really winning at this stuff? And some friends and I, if we can get the next slide, Michael, went um, to Calais last week to help out in this big kitchen and this big warehouse that serves um, food for almost 6,000 refugees there and migrants. And, and they kind of sort through all sorts of donations, mainly from the UK, of clothes and tents and sleeping bags and I'm not going to speak much about that, but one of the things that I absolutely loved about the ethos at this warehouse was um, when we sorted through the kind of mountains of clothes that people had donated and and we did quality checks and it all, the question that was asked was, if you wouldn't wear it yourself, why would you expect somebody else to wear it? And the same, the, the food was made by these Michelin chefs who took time out to cook quit their jobs, went on annual leave, and and they they were asking the same question. If you wouldn't eat it yourself, why would you supply it for someone else? And I have to be honest and admit that I wasn't going there expecting to ask that question. 
And as humanity, we are no longer identified just by where we're born or what trade our family had mastered or which suburb we come from. Because when you get to sit with somebody like that 20-year-old Sudanese boy that had traveled thousands of miles just to flee the conflict in Darfur or the 19-year-old Afghan guy, we are reminded that we are all just children that the Father dearly loves that anything that we have from him, anything that we have from him is by grace. And when we get our heads around that, that we have been invited into the Father's house, that we have been invited into the Father's house and truly own our own identity each day, then it will bless those around us as we invite them into the same reality. Because we are people of God, we are people of Jesus, we are people of resurrection, and we are the people of joy. People of joy just people of joy just don't have time for opinions that are born out of security, interactions that come out of jealousy, just tearing each other down just to raise ourselves up. It's just not what we do. It's not what we were made for. Verse sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He laid down his life for us so that we could do the same and imitate him with our own lives. And the question again is how has he called you to lay your life down? Do you know? Have you really considered it? Have you really listened to the speaking God? For who has he called you to lay your life down? Who has he placed on your heart? Who has he put around you to go for it with you? And just to be extra specially clear, I'm not just talking about buying a plane ticket to Lebanon, but I'm talking about embracing the stuff that weighs us down so that we can be free enough to open our hearts, to open our homes to the people that we find difficult, to the orphans, to the widows of our culture and society, for the people that are wandering, who are lost and lonely in Edinburgh. That's what's at stake here. This city will not be simply transformed by big vision. I'm sure that as we see this city changed and we see this nation changed by God's spirit on the move again, big vision will have an important part to play. But this city won't be transformed by big vision an amazing strategy. This city will be transformed by a church and individuals who are vulnerable enough to open up to each other, admit their failings and just love one another. And that has to be modelled by us, the church, me and you. This world is desperate for a fresh release of the love of the Father. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his down, his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So just before my voice completely goes, should we pray and ask God's spirit to come and speak to us?
God, give us receptive hearts this morning. Just able to receive more than we've ever been able to receive before. It's really relaxed here this morning. There's no, I'm not going to hype anything up, but um, God is here. And kind of his heart towards his precious children is that he wants to pour his love into us. And keep pouring and keep pouring so that our capacity grows. And that we can be transformed more and more into his likeness. So maybe you just want to pray that prayer in your own words. Maybe you just want to, sometimes we um, hold out our hands here as just a sign that we're ready to receive. And God, where there are places that we've been withholding and holding back from you, that we think that even you can't see, Lord, would your love invade those places? Would we know just how dearly loved we are by the Father? Would we have that kind of Nutella love lavished all over us? This morning, would we know that there's nothing we can do to lose your love that is covenantal. And God, place on our hearts the people that you want us to go to. Just give us reminders this morning of the people that you want us to lay our our lives down for. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us.